welcome to another side quest episode of the main quest podcast this is of course the number one retro gaming podcast that didn't even think about playing animal crossing new horizons this year as always i am your host keith and 2020 is over motherfuckers and all of its problems are about to spill over into 2021 reality check bitches and just like the famous christopher barnes said you thought it was over it's not over and then he kept growling on about murdering women with an axe i'm not weird it's a cannibal corpse reference just look it up um before i get to my list of top 10 games uh of this year I just want to run down some of the news that occurred this year in the realm of gaming. It's not often I actually talk about what's happening within the industry. I have done that like here and there on some episodes, but this is the most appropriate episode to really tackle all of these uh, little bits of news here. It's quite the list that I've compiled. I'm not going to spend too much time on each story, but I'll throw in some commentary if I feel strongly one way or the other. So let's start with the most obvious bit of news. Everything got canceled. Literally, the virus obviously uh, has had lasting effects on the industry. E3 was canceled. E3 has kind of been circling the drain anyway. I'm pretty sure the only large company that was planning on being there this year was Nintendo. And if I remember right, both Microsoft and Sony uh, pulled themselves from the show to uh, make their own events prior to COVID shutting things down. It's definitely going to be interesting if we get E3 at all anymore. I personally liked E3 only for the amount of things that get announced, but Honestly, I couldn't really care less if it continues or not. Like, we clearly have more than enough outlets to let us know whether or not we're going to get video games. So that was kind of like the biggest thing for me that got canceled. Um, other things were uh, BlizzCon got canceled, Evo canceled, Gen Con canceled. This next one stung me just a little bit. Uh, the Midwest Gaming Classic canceled which is a convention that takes place right here in Milwaukee. Would have loved to do something there for the podcast when I kicked things off, but perhaps with the vaccine, that might help things, and things start to get a little safer, and we get something next year. Comic-Con, canceled. PAX, canceled. TwitchCon, canceled. Tokyo Game Show, canceled. There's a longer list of other stuff that I haven't even heard of, but those are basically like the main cons that everybody talks about every year. And of course, on top of things getting canceled, uh, we also got games that got canceled or delayed as well. Right off the bat, I'll mention Cyberpunk here. It was supposed to be out in April, then got pushed back to September, then November, and finally just released uh, a few weeks ago. I'll have more to say about cyberpunk later because i'm definitely going to be throwing my hat in on that whole thing but for now the ascent got delayed 
Deathloop got delayed. Dying Light 2 has been delayed indefinitely, and we'll talk about Techland a little bit later as well. Far Cry 6, Halo Infinite, No More Heroes 3, Psychonauts 2, and Bloodlines 2 are all top-tier releases with no longer a real release date. Many more games have been announced, but their release dates um, have been very vague, if given at all. A majority of them just give like a year, 2021 or 2022, which is fine, whatever. Before we get into the real dirty stuff, before we start garbage picking inside a flaming dumpster, let's talk about the good stuff that happened this year. The stuff that kept us occupied while we were locked inside with no place to go because despite all those delays, video games still happened. You can't stop video games. I mean, CD Projekt Red tried to, kind of. Um, the Final Fantasy VII Remake came out. That's a thing. That's an actual video game. And you can go listen to my episode on that to hear my opinion on it. It certainly exists. And that's great for people. <laughs> Animal Crossing New Horizons was the vacation everyone needed. That came out, and I know so many people who sunk hundreds of hours just into that game alone this year. In fact, I'm pretty sure this was a system seller for Nintendo. I know it became very hard to find Switches early on in the pandemic. The game came out on March 20th, and in 10 days had sold 12 million copies, and by the end of September had sold 26 million units which is just fucking crazy-ass numbers. Um, another huge system seller for Nintendo was Ring Fit Adventure, which also became incredibly hard to find, along with Switches, because everybody's gym was closed. And for those who had nothing else to do in their homes, it was a great excuse to not only play video games, but get healthy while you're doing it. It's a game that I was even, you know, keeping an eye on for a while. But again, uh, it was sold out basically up until like a few weeks ago. So with all of this, you know, and despite their very lackluster releases after the first quarter, Nintendo had a pretty good fucking year. And I'm going to put a pin in Nintendo since uh, we're going to come back to those assholes a little later as well. Uh, Mario Kart World Tour farted out and nobody cared. Remember, uh, remember augmented reality Mario Kart? You remember that? which that was a piece of like a larger celebration of the 35th anniversary of Super Mario, which also just kind of farted out. Like anything of interest coming out of that won't actually be out until next year. The most notable release to come out of this 35th anniversary that, that came out this year was Super Mario 3D All-Stars, in which Nintendo took three ROMs you can get anywhere, slapped them on a disc, and sold them to a bunch of suckers for $60. And also they're selling it for only a limited amount of time because why not create fake scarcity? Seriously, man, fuck Nintendo. We got a few meme games this year. Well, to put it nice, I, I feel like meme is calling them meme games is, is kind of mean. To put it nicely, <laughs> the pop songs of video games that came out this year were Fall Guys, 
Among Us and Phasmophobia. Well, actually, Among Us didn't come out this year. It's a two-year-old game. I call them the pop songs of video games because they're immensely popular right now. But this time next year, nobody will give a good goddamn about them. Like, seriously, does anybody give a fuck about Untitled Goose Game this year? Anyone? I didn't think so. Fall Guys burned out almost immediately. And once November 1st came around, everybody dropped off of Phasmophobia. Among Us became a huge, popular, widely memed success after, you know, what I just said, it laying in the cut for like two years. Its huge success even killed off the development of its sequel, which is insane. I never cared to play this game, uh, but I'm happy that something else has finally dethroned Minions as the cringiest meme. R.I.P. Minions. Uh, but to spend some positivity on this, like, the one thing all three of these games have in common besides their 15 minutes of fame is that they brought people together in a year in which we literally had to stay away from each other. Consoles launched. After almost no information on either side, we got a whole bunch of stuff dumped on us, and then a few months later, the Xbox Series X and S and the PS5 were all out. I think this has to be one of the strangest launches. I mean, like I said, we, we pretty much knew nothing about the consoles until they were released, because Microsoft and Sony were so tight-lipped about it and we're like afraid that either side would just try and screw the other or like one up the other if any info leaked out. And Microsoft like buckled eventually. In fact, I, th I think they were the first to reveal anything about their console. And then there was the whole PS5 pre-order bungle. And as of this recording, like it's still impossible to find a PS5 unless you just bite the bullet and buy from one of these fucking bitch-ass scalpers. But either way, I mean, they came out, both consoles launched, with zero exclusive games on them. Uh, from my perspective, I think the Series X had a much better launch. Uh, the PS5 architecture is completely half-baked. It isn't even very user-friendly. The firmware is trash. It's a pain in the ass to transfer last generation's games to it. You could argue that Demon Souls Remaster is a launch game, but I mean, it's not. It's still Demon Souls. It's still you could have played that game 11 years ago. In contrast, that's like saying Shadow of the Colossus, which is another Blue Point remake. If that came out today, that that would be a system seller or, a, or an exclusive launch game. It's not, I guess, but it's it's not. But in contrast, Microsoft was really hammering Game Pass as the reason to get a Series X. And I mean, why the fuck not? Game Pass is absolutely genius. 
you could play hundreds of games going back to the original console to the last the xbox x or one x whatever the fuck that system microsoft's naming conventions is fucking trash i don't even remember what the last generation was called fuck it and you can really get your money's worth until like you know a new forza comes out or gears or halo launches and it seems like the interface for the series x and everything hasn't changed too much from the last console and transferring your data is just pretty much like a push of a button and then also there's there's the thing uh, that before you even put a game on your PS5, the software alone takes up 600 gigs of your 900 gigs of storage. So yeah, there's there's that too. But either way, they're here. There's new consoles out. And it's going to be a pretty awesome generation to come. And then some Smash news. There's a lot of Smash Brothers news. Uh, Min Min, Steve, and Sephiroth... <laughs> were added to the smash brothers roster this year now i normally don't give a flying fuck who comes to smash most of the new fighters like my reaction is pretty lukewarm but ultimately like i'm like yeah whatever i have the season pass i'm gonna get it regardless i'm not i'm not one of those people who are like where the fuck is gino sora is getting fucked again i can't believe they fucking forgot about fucking Sora. But also at the same time, I'm not one of those people who reacts like a complete lunatic when a character like Banjo or Steve is announced and I start crying like I'm I finally, I finally found the meaning to life. Oh my God. And then they just like grab their cat and start screaming in its face. Now Sephiroth. So let me tell you about Sephiroth. And most of this, I kind of went over in my Final Fantasy VII Remake episode. But Sephiroth is like the Freddy Krueger of video game villains. He was one of the best, like, hands down, the best video game villains. And now he's just this fucking, this fucking edgelord waifu fantasy joke. Is waifu the word I want to use? What's the male, like counter to that sephiroth what was once villainous mysterious and silent is now just all over the place are we talking about final fantasy doesn't matter which one of out of the 20 final fantasy games we're talking about sephiroth is sephiroth did did nomura take a shit today sephiroth he's a synonymous with the entire franchise, not just his own game, as getting drunk is on St. Patrick's Day, even if you're not Irish. I just hate how much of a dead horse Sephiroth has become. Like, Smash Brothers was once a celebration of Nintendo's history, but has kind of introduced characters from more acclaimed franchises outside of Nintendo. Sakurai has said himself that dealing with Square Enix wasn't the easiest thing to do, and the moment they're able to establish something, they, they, get a, they get a deal to get more square characters in there. They take Sephiroth? There were six other Nintendo-exclusive Final Fantasies. One of them, Final Fantasy VI, arguably one of the best Final Fantasies, was a Nintendo-exclusive. 
You could have literally had a plethora of characters to add. Fuck. I'd even take fucking Titus. Is it Titus or Titus? I, I hear both. If we're going outside of Nintendo, why not? Why not Titus? Like his final smash could be that fucking corny ass fucking laugh he does. And then everyone just cringes off the stage and, and kills themselves. I would have taken anybody. I would have taken Sora. Like, I don't even give a shit about Kingdom Hearts. But Sephiroth is the one where I was like, really? Seriously? And of course, the announcement around him was super edgy. Oh, my God. Look at his sword. Oh, my God. He's he can go shirtless. I want to be him. So that's that's my final say on that. Now, at least it's all up here as far as DLC characters go in that game. Unless they add uh, Kate Sith. Kate. Kate Sith. Catchy. Whatever. And yeah, Kate Sith would have been 100% more interesting than Sephiroth. You can bet your sweet pointy hair on that. Part 2 came out and was a 10 out of 10 masterpiece in storytelling and graphical design that literally almost everybody hated because the gaming community is overflowing with toxic masculinity. If you can't tell, we're kind of stepping into the dog shit of 2020 right now. I'm trying to slowly transition here. That, that Sephiroth rant really, really fucking fired me up. Even after the Game Awards, people kept shitting on The Last of Us 2 for winning so many awards. I mean, there were other games that I hoped would win uh, the categories that they were nominated in alongside The Last of Us 2. But I mean, The Last of Us 2 is undeniable. Not only does the game deserve it, but the employees at Naughty Dog deserve it as well. I'm actually speaking on this as if the Game Awards actually mean anything besides to advertise and sell you more video games. And so with that, Cyberpunk 2077 finally, after eight years, came out and was a zero out of ten dumpster fire that everyone also hates. So my brother and I talked about this game on the Mario 2 episode. He bought it. I decided that I probably will never buy it. But here's my take on the whole thing, and then I'm done with it, because I decided that I probably wasn't going to buy it back in like April when it got delayed again. And so, I mean, I was excited for this game, probably just as excited as anyone else, especially after I finished The Witcher 3. The Witcher 3, as impossibly broken as it was when it came out, was eventually patched. Two incredibly expansive story DLCs came out for it, which easily added an 
80 hours of content to an already like 120 hour game. And this all happened two years after its initial release. Like The Witcher 3 was and is a masterpiece. It's easily one of the top five games of the last generation. But it took time. It took time. So before I or anybody really knew that CD Projekt Red actually didn't start Cyberpunk's development until like 2017, I can admit at least that I thought like, man, eight years of development, like this should be a pretty okay game once it's released. And again, there was like, there were people who were overreacting upon this game's release. It was going to be like the fucking second coming of Christ who deep throats them or like rubs their clit and shits out 10 grand every five minutes. Like it was going to, like it was going to bring world peace and solve every fucking social and economic problem on the planet. Like, people actually fucking believed that if you bought a physical copy of this game and licked the disc, it would cure COVID. Of course it was never going to be that. And it, in fact, wasn't. And to many people's surprise. For some reason, like, people were surprised that it was an absolute mess. Now, I'm not, like, I'm not old by any means. But I'm not young and naive by any means either. Because you should know, you should know that when you hear a game has been in development for eight years, you're like, well, this can go one of two ways. The game comes out and it's fine. I'm glad they took their time. Hopefully the employees were treated well. Or the game is fine, but it's just really bad. And... Hopefully the employees were still treated well along the way. But then you learn that the game was actually only in development for three years. And CD Projekt Red really, 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 really loves to waste time making trailers of a game that actually doesn't exist. And that their employees are working 40 hour days every day. And then the game gets a release date and then is delayed. Delayed. Delayed again. Delayed one more time, I swear. Delayed. 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 No more delays. It's coming out. This is it. Delayed. Delayed again. Like, really? How can your expectations for a game like this really be that absurdly high still? By, like, the fucking 17th delay this past April? I, that's, I mean, that's when I was done. That's when I was done giving a shit about cyberpunk and then the delays kept happening and i'm like yeah there's something wrong here like this game is in fucking trouble there's something going on within cd project red and then it comes out that cd project red had lied to investors just to get the game out and before i even start blaming you capital g gamers out there for this game's buggy mess let me be clear here some of this is completely on CD Projekt Red. Obviously, there's some ridiculously bad management over there. Like every single person in charge for this game's distribution, for this game's advertising, all those higher-ups, they should absolutely be fired for just downright shitty things have gone wrong leading up to this game's release. But also, here we go, a lot of it is on you capital G gamers. 
the toxic motherfucks out there sending death threats to CD Projekt Red for delaying their messiah game? The toxic fucks who literally took off of work to play a video game, while many Americans wish they even had jobs to take off of work for in the first place. And don't get me wrong, like, I talked about this on a previous episode, mental health, it's a thing, needing some time off just to take a breather and do something you love, that's great, that's great, but in some cases, like, it's it's a video game. You can literally do that and spend time with another video game or spend time with a significant other or spend the day chilling with your dog or take a drive somewhere. Don't blame a video game company because you took a fucking day off of work, you fucking jerk off. And I'm probably really calling my audience right here. Hey, man. New year, new me. <laughs> no, if, if you listen to the show regularly, this isn't anything new for me. So, yeah, the writing was on the wall for quite a while. The game needed more time. And you know what? In a few years, I already said it on, on a previous episode, the game is going to be fine. It's just the same story with The Witcher 3. Everyone will completely forget anything happened at all because the internet has an attention span of 48 hours. It sucks your game's broken. Honestly, it's kind of what you ask for, but also fuck CD Projekt Red and their backwards-ass management, their blatant manipulation of the public's perception, and the way they treat their employees. Speaking of shitty billion-dollar companies, here are some other shitbag video game developer news. Employees at Blizzard took a strike against the company for unfair salary, poor working conditions, and of course, crunch. Many developers worldwide promised to crack down on Crunch this year, and of course, that was a lie. Now, if you're triggered by, like, sexual abuse content and stuff like that, I suggest you skip ahead, like, the next couple minutes, because it's going to get pretty dark here uh, real quick. Many of Ubisoft, is it Ubisoft or Ubisoft? Ubisoft, Ubisoft? Anyway, many of Ubisoft's Management came under fire for workplace toxicity and sexual harassment and sexism. Chris Avalone, uh, who was recently working on Dying Light 2 at Techland, got fired from Techland because he loves to sexually abuse women. Also, shit stain of the earth, Evo CEO Joey Culler also loves sexual assault, apparently. And I guess it sounds like I'm taking this like kind of lightly, like I'm not... This kind of stuff is absolutely deplorable as people and companies that are supposed to represent us as the consumer of the things that they make. They need to uphold a certain standard and make people feel welcome within the community instead of alienating them or making them feel uncomfortable or for any other reason other than for the talent that they hired them for. These companies must absolutely hold these shit stains accountable and make a stronger effort to weed them out. I mean, these guys were specifically upper management and fucking CEOs. These guys were all over the game's media. And they, in turn, make everyone who vouched for them 
look questionable at no fault, but with whom they communicated with. And I mean, honestly, I think it's like I don't like cancel culture. And I do think it's silly to be like, oh, well, Kotaku interviewed this guy or Giant Bomb had an interview uh, with this guy on this video. So these outlets must in turn also be shitty, too. Like, that's fucking ridiculous. Um, because maybe people who do really repulsive things tend to hide it from others. And the smear on our community doesn't stop there. So I was going to talk about a lot of Smash Brothers news. Uh, there were 50 cases of sexual abuse, rape, and pedophilia conducted within the Smash Brothers tournament community. Some of its top players were outed as having sexual relationships with minors during tournaments and off. Obviously, uh, that's really fucking hard to swallow. Um, I, I'd really like to make a Minecraft joke here, but I won't. It's just, it's fucking, that's stuff, that, I mean, that's really hard to read. It's fucking horrendous. It's fucking disgusting. There's nothing else I can really say. I think it's going to be a really long time before things get back to normal with that. And unfortunately, like, maybe just shouldn't happen at all considering how many children are drawn to a game like that. And I mean, like, it, it sucks because it, it should be a thing that they get to enjoy without having the fear and encountering the discourse that happens outside of the game that they're playing. It's just really shitty. It's shitty. ahead a few minutes welcome back i'm going to kind of start veering into some more neutral news i guess uh so speaking of smash brothers nintendo cracked down and canceled events surrounding their very own games that's right how dare you have fun with the games nintendo puts out who the fuck do you think you are in these unprecedented times, people really needed to MacGyver their way around some technical issues to either play the games they love and to also be able to play the games they love with the people they love. And as we know, there is still a huge fan base surrounding specifically Super Smash Bros. Melee and these dedicated few almost exclusively only play this iteration of the game the community raised some money to put in a pot started a tournament using a mod that would allow users to play the game online and nintendo swiftly came in with a cease and desist <laughs> which is of course not the first time nintendo has done this but considering everyone is locked inside this was egregiously more shitty than the other times now granted, 
Nintendo is in the right to do this as the copies of Melee that were being played were probably ROMs. But holy shit, Nintendo. I mean, your netcode is fucking garbage. Your selection of games on your current console is garbage. Maybe build a better network infrastructure so it doesn't take three minutes to throw a single punch in Smash Ultimate. I could go out and get a day's worth of errands done before I can get into a stable match in Smash Ultimate. And also, maybe, I don't know, sell Melee in the eShop? We already know you're just putting emulated games on discs and selling them for a limited time only for $60. Just do the same fucking thing with Melee, you fucking crooks. And it doesn't end there. Nintendo sanctioned their own tournament in Splatoon 2 and swiftly shut that down when players started showing support for that canceled Melee tournament. And you know what the grand prize was for this Nintendo sanctioned tournament? $25 to their eShop. Congratulations, you can buy a quarter of a game on there. And on top of that, the last time they held the tournament, they didn't even pay out the $25 to the winner. Nintendo is so fucking out of touch, man. And just so completely technologically outdated. Like, their management are the fucking troglodytes of the gaming industry. When other gaming companies are making fire and the wheel, Nintendo is making potable water and then taking a fucking dump in it. But not to worry. Not to worry because Nintendo was hacked in the summer and a whole bunch of inside data got leaked spanning 35 years of work. This shit was fucking amazing. Everything from source codes, firmware, Info on early game consoles, game prototypes, I mean, you fucking name it. It was really sweet and super interesting to, to kind of get a look at a history that we might have never been able to see. But thankfully, again, you know, Nintendo technology is held together by sticks, leaves, and mud. Um, Twitch continues to be a social justice nightmare. Instead of actually taking care of social issues that plague the internet, they just kind of make issues up and then take care of the stuff they just made up, which in turn causes innocent people to lose their income while the chosen hypocrites continue to thrive. Mixer, the big streaming platform that was to dethrone Twitch, shuts down before it even gets a real running start. Dan Hauser, producer, writer, voice actor, and vice president of Rockstar Games, leaves the company, leaving a really big fucking question mark on the development of the GTA series. If there is even any development on it, I mean, Rockstar is literally laughing all the way to the bank with GTA 5, so why even make GTA 6? Um, but either way, I think this is pretty notable he's been involved with some of the best games created uh bully again the gta series red dead redemption la noir uh it's gonna be weird without him floating around rockstar then there's apple versus epic games the battle of the billion dollar companies i'm not going to talk about this here because i talked about it for like 10 or 15 minutes on a previous episode uh, all I gotta say is stop supporting both of these companies, you fucking idiots. The entire lawsuit 
is literally about who is allowed to take your money. Fuck Fortnite and in general, fuck Apple. Please rate this podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts and leave a short review explaining that this is, in fact, the number one retro gaming podcast that despises multi-billion dollar companies. The five star rating gives the show exposure and allows me to bring you better content in the future. Thank you so much. And lastly, speaking of multi-billion dollar corporations, Microsoft buys Bethesda Zenimax Studios. It's one of, if not the biggest acquisitions in history, as the deal was made for almost $8 billion, which is like roughly $4 billion more than what George Lucas got from Disney for Star Wars. Personally, I don't care much for Bethesda or like Obsidian games, like they're fine. And I mean, if you can't tell, like the one thing that I just honestly hate about this whole thing is that a majority of people uh, will no longer be able to play these games unless they get an Xbox. And like all this really does is just fan the flames of the console wars that fucking idiot capital G gamers like to yell about. I just think that exclusivity is just really toxic and just fucking shitty. We've come so far in the past seven years to have cross-platform play, and we're just still sucking up developers left and right for exclusivity rights. Like, what the fuck? Like, what? Why even move forward with cross-platform shit? It's so fucking ass-backwards. And so that's, that's it for the most notable news here in, in 2020. When I was researching and rereading some of this stuff, I really kind of had to go out of my way to find like real feel good stuff here. And, and then when I looked at the list, I was like, yuck, like things, things really need to fucking change. And, you know, we've been told things would change this year, but it's just bad. It's so hard to be someone who enjoys video games while absolutely despising the people who put out these video games. <laughs> out of all of this, you know, what I'm just going to say is, uh, fuck Nintendo. 2020, Nintendo is the biggest loser, and they didn't even lose an election this year, and they still fucking suck. So, let's stop talking about all the bad billionaire shit and talk about the games those billionaires released. You clicked on the episode, and you downloaded it, so you know what the rest of the episode is going to be like. It is my top 10 games of 2020. But the rules for my top 10 games are different because I am a frugal son of a bitch and games are often not worth playing on release. Cyberpunk. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, I usually <laughs> often wait like a year or two before actually picking something up. Like I literally just bought like Tekken 7 like a week ago. Uh, so... Many of the games that I played in 2020 might be a few years old, which is also to say I'm even including games I've covered on this show. I think having covered them on the show makes them somewhat significant. And just remember, it's my list. It ain't your list. If you got a list, you know where to send it. I'm probably not going to care about it. And I don't know, you probably shouldn't really care about mine, but Maybe you'll find it interesting. Um, so let's fucking do this. It's finally time for me to gush about games that I love instead of hating on games. Because just remember, just remember, I hate video games. 
So first, I'm going to read a list of all the games that I played this year that have a potential of showing up on my top 10. So first, we're going to start with uh, the episodes that I did for the show. So we have Alien Crush, The Legendary Axe, Bonk's Adventure, Bonk's Revenge, Packland, Bomberman 93, Splatterhouse, New Adventure Island, Super Mario Brothers, Final Fantasy, Kirby's Adventure, Mega Man, Burger Time, Battletoads, The Adventures of Lolo, Castlevania, Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest, Ghosts and Goblins, Rampage, Sweet Home, Bionic Commando, Krusty's Funhouse, Super Mario Bros. 2, The Legend of Zelda, Tetris, Resident Evil, and The Last of Us Part 2. Oh, and Final Fantasy VII Remake. It's not unusual for me to forget about that game. <laughs> um, and then here are some of the other games that I played this year. Ghost of Tsushima, Cadence of Hyrule, Star Wars Episode One Racer, Fall Guys, Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze, Overcooked 2, Resident Evil 3 Remake, MLB The Show 2020, Tekken 7, Hollow Knight, Hot Shots Racing, Doom Eternal, Hades, Dragon Quest XI, Dragon Ball Fighters, Dragon Ball Fighter Z, and Super Mario 35. That's a lot of fucking games. Holy shit. So let's start with number 10. Dragon Ball Fighters, or Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Fighter Z. I have no idea. I think the title of this game has plagued everyone since it's released. I have no idea what the fuck it's called. And upon its release in 2018, it immediately skyrocketed to the top of some of the best fighting games around. It was not only so popular as to grab the attention of people who are in no way interested in the anime at all, but it also shot to being one of the main events at EVO in 2018 and 2019. Unlike a lot of the Dragon Ball games, this one maintains the faithfulness of its source material but strays away from the story arcs of the manga and anime that have been beaten to death in the games that came before it. There is a story mode with four arcs created specifically for the game, but the draw of the game is actually the arcade and the multiplayer. 
it is a fighting game after all. First of all, the animation and graphics are fucking stunning. It looks just like an episode of the anime, sometimes better. The ease of learning combat, there is a tutorial mode as well, is incredibly easy, but will take time to master. And within a few hours, like I was winning a few matches against like randos, though I did get slapped around like the majority of the time. But the game really does make you feel like you get the hang of it very quickly. If you're familiar with the Capcom versus Marvel type of gameplay, Dragon Ball Fighters is basically the same. You're able to select three characters per match and are able to swap mid-fight or call in for help and execute some fucking just devastating combos. The character roster is great, and as of this recording, they have announced two more which are coming in January. Although, like, do we really need seven or eight types of Gokus? Goku, I said that really weird. Gokus? <laughs> I guess... I guess like Cowbell, we could always need more Goku. And there's even a brand new character made specifically for the game by Akira Toriyama himself. The stages are destructible, as they should be, without really changing any of the gameplay. They're really just kind of like eye candy set pieces, even to the point where like you can perform attacks that wipe out the entire stage or blow up half the planet. It's incredibly unapologetically Dragon Ball. It's it's not ashamed of it at all. And the intro to the game, like the fucking song that fucking rushes in, the fucking the entire song is like a fucking goddamn guitar solo. And the in-game clips that they show are fucking phenomenal. And, and like there's like these specialized cutscenes too created specifically for the intro. It it immediately draws you the fuck in. And you're just ready for the action that Dragon Ball Fighters Z is ready to bring you. <laughs> and so with that, uh, let's get into number nine. Bomberman 93. What can I say about it? I did an entire episode on it, and then I even talked about it further on another episode that's wrapped up my entire experience with the Turbo Graphics set of games. If you want to know why it made this list, go check out those uh, fucking episodes. It's a super awesome, super simple, refreshing game, and it has aged insanely well. So, we're just going to move on to number 8 here. Mm. 
the Resident Evil 3 remake is a game I talked about a lot for the first couple of episodes of this podcast. I didn't really understand why people didn't like this game, and I still don't know why when they'll easily throw away $60 on some ROMs. It is a fully remade Resident Evil game from the ground up in the new RE engine with a fresh cast of voices and a reworked score. Tons of hard work went into this game, while some other people this year didn't work very hard on anything at all and they get all the praise in the world. It's it's kind of weird. But I hear ya. Uh, it, it's short. In fact, I was getting to the point where I could beat the game in around like 55 minutes. But that should go to show fucking replayability. This game is replayable as all fuck, and it's fun. The more times you go through, the faster you get, the more items you get to unlock for the next playthrough. There's even like a sort of in-game achievements list that, upon completion, gives you certain bonus items, like unlimited ammo, uh, half damage, more item slots, rare guns, a fucking bazooka. There's just as much fun to be had on your next playthrough than you had in your previous one. You literally become the nemesis yourself. <laughs> but but my first initial playthrough, uh, it clocked in at around like seven hours, which is like the same amount of time it took me to casually beat the Resident Evil 2 remake. And, you know, I said it before and I always I always say it, but I always likened the original Resident Evil 3 to Aliens, whereas the first two were more like Alien. This game and its original are way more action-packed, and the remake doubles down on the action in every way. Honestly, like, you should just... you should If you haven't checked it out, you should fucking get it. I honestly cannot wait to come back to it for the podcast, even if I am sticking to, like, my dumb skit for that Resident Evil series. So let's just go ahead and move on to number seven. adventure for the NES is quite the refreshing take on an 8-bit platformer. It's so easy to dismiss Kirby as like a, a simplistic character design and as like a cutesy children's mascot. The gameplay isn't as shallow as it seems as there's always a difficult way to engage with a level or an easy way depending on what kind of power-up you use. Not only does the game hold up phenomenally well, but the soundtrack is every bit is good. I did an entire episode on the game, and it was an absolute delight to play, and even better to talk about. And it's something that I will definitely revisit when I can. So let's move on to number six.
Castlevania is a game that I've only played through twice, and I loved it both times. Mechanically, it could use some work. Simon don't move too well, but those were the mechanics of the time. Not every game character moved like Mario, and Castlevania isn't a straight-up platformer. There are gaming protagonists of this era that wished that they could move like Simon Belmont. The game's bosses are challenging, as bosses ought to be. But it'll make you feel like you've really accomplished something as you make your way to the top of Dracula's Tower. I'll definitely be returning to this game sooner than later, since I didn't get to spend as much time with it as I wanted to when I played it for the show. But again, go check out the episode on Castlevania. Moving on to number five. Shot Racing. I never thought I'd love a racing game as much as I do this one. Like, I love Mario Kart 8, but Hot Shot Racing really hits me right in the fucking nostalgia, and it's a 2020 game. Part retro arcade racer with all the mechanics of a modern arcade racing game, this Sega Saturn-esque racer has tons of modes from multiplayer party modes to different versions of arcade-style game types. The music for the game is phenomenal. I actually showed it off on a music episode, and it really does fit the type of locales that you'll be driving around in the game. The mechanics are super tight, from being able to save up your turbo meter for just the right moment, to sneaking up on opponents using their own wake. There's a fair enough characters to choose from, though the personalities of these characters are pretty paper thin. I don't think it's a, a necessary component to actually enjoy the game. But along with this uh, comes a lot of unlockables to customize not only the character themselves, um, though you don't really see them the majority of the game, uh, but their cars as well, uh, even up to even uh, changing the stats of certain cars. The best part of the game? The visuals. Enough of the 8-bit and 16-bit love letters to the games we grew up with in the late 80s, early 90s. This is a love letter to the Sega Saturn PlayStation era of graphics. And a lot of people say that the polygonal style uh, would be hard to come back to, but this game is the argument against that. It has the low-poly style you'd expect, but maintains a sharp, crisp fidelity and uses them creatively throughout the tracks and on the cars themselves. And all of this stuff works in unison to make, I'm gonna say it, one of the best racing games that I have ever played. 
So now it gets really difficult here. Number four. Number four, Cadence of Hyrule. I think I've talked about this game a few times on the show. I don't remember which episode it was on, but I did go on about it for 20 to 25 minutes until Paul told me to shut the fuck up. I, I ended cutting out like 10 minutes of my rant as to keep the episode a reasonable length. I'm thinking uh, this might be an episode all its own eventually. And it's amazing because I really just couldn't get down with Crypt of the Necrodancer, be it the gameplay, characters, or music. And Cadence of Hyrule is literally Crypt with a Zelda skin over it. But it's honestly more than that. It uses some Zelda lore and characters to create a brand new story. The story itself is pretty basic as Zelda plots tend to be, but what Zelda plot has actually ever been the selling point? It's the gameplay. And the gameplay of this Zelda title is very distinct. It's a rhythm-based game in which you move around the world and dungeons to the beat of the music that plays. Even if you're good at keeping a beat, the battle mechanics do take getting used to as the enemies on the screen also follow the beat of the music and will not miss a beat either so any hesitation on your part can literally mean life or death especially early on in the game there is a way to turn off the need to follow the music and just move however you want to which is something that i did do for like 15 minutes but it just was not any fun it just kind of felt like really cheap and you know i wasn't even really learning how to play the game like, what's the point of playing a rhythm-based game without having to actually play to the rhythm? Eventually, you will get used to it, and it becomes insanely satisfying when you trick enemies or lay out one of the super creative takes on traditional Zelda bosses. You're not only able to play as Link, but you can play as Zelda, uh, you can play as Cadence from Crypt, and even play a separate campaign for the villain of the game, Octavo. Or is it Octavo? Lots of weird 
weird game pronunciations tonight. And there's even some fucking DLC that just dropped a few months back with all new characters, all new music that follow the story of the Skull Kid and Majora's Mask. And speaking of the music, the fucking music, man. Danny Baranowski fucking crushes it with this soundtrack. I mean, the soundtrack for this game is everything. It's a game based on music. And Baranowski's takes on Koji Kondo's legendary compositions are just as refreshing as the pixel work of the game. To me, this is just proof that Nintendo really needs to let other people in on their powwow when they're looking to rejuvenate a franchise. If you love the Zelda series, if you love rhythm games, you're going to love Cadence of Hyrule. So let's do it. Top three. Here we go. What the hell can I say about The Last of Us Part 2 that I didn't say in my episode of the game? Other than that, like, aren't you fucking surprised it wasn't my number one? I sure as shit am pretty fucking surprised it was not my number one game this year. Honestly, these top four games, starting with Cadence of Hyrule, were genuinely hard to place for me. Looking at the list of games I had played this year, some of them I almost forgot about because of how crazy this year has been. It's, it seems like it's been longer than February or January from the last time I played them. I, I seriously though, like I don't I don't know what to say about this game anymore. It's heart-wrenching. It's violent, chaotic, scary and in moments have fleeting moments of hope and love. And of course, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps and I'm not even really talking about the game. It like, I'm not even, I'm not going to go over it here. Ellie's journey is all in due to her love and forgiveness for Joel with the overreaching message that humanity is flawed by design. When it comes down to it, I can't see myself replaying this game for quite a while. It just takes a lot out of me, which is why I can't really put it higher than the other two games on this list. 
It's all in replayability. Replaying the first few hours of the game when I played it for the show, I was just like, can I emotionally handle this shit again? And then I started picking up other nuances and small story beats and little lines of dialogue that I didn't even notice the first time. And I was just captured by it and floored all over again. Thinking that just when I knew what was coming, a whole new perspective twists the story that I thought I knew so well. I love this game to death. I hate this game to death. Go listen to my episode on The Last of Us Part 2. Speaking of Part 2, let's get into Number 2. Hollow Knight is a game that I played for like a solid two months from January up until around like early March. Not having played Symphony of the Night. I know. I know. I haven't I haven't played that game. Put your put your pitchforks down. Without playing that game, I have to say that Hollow Knight is easily the best Metroidvania that I have ever played. And again, I think this is just going to be this. This might be an episode all of its own one day uh, if I ever decide to pick this back up. If I ever decide, I know I will probably pick this game back up at some point. Hollow Knight is the absolute unit when it comes to atmosphere, characters, collectibles, game design, art direction, and of course, music. You know, when Talking about Zelda for the show admits the nostalgia and uh, whimsically speaking on all the wonder and discovering in that game's world. Uh, Hollow Knight definitely takes that and then borrows a bit from Zelda 2, Metroid, of course, and then like a dash of like Mega Man X for its mechanics. And it totally wears all of that shit on its sleeve. And then it does all the things that those games do, and it does them better than you could even imagine. From the jump, you're immediately dropped into the world of Hollow Nest with little to no information. 
But as you explore, the lore begins to unfold. And I'll admit, I didn't understand a lot of the lore. It's pretty fucking deep. But by the end of the game, I I got the basic gist of it. Uh, playing through it a second time would probably be a lot better for me. But then you also you also meet all types of interesting characters along the way. From the, the tough as nails hornet to the meticulous cornifer to the fucking annoyingly arrogant Zote. And even the best Metroidvanias, like they have like a lick of linearity to them. Most often, you know, some areas are blocked off until you get a certain upgrade or skill, or perhaps you need to defeat a certain enemy to progress. But in Hollow Knight, there's a will, there's a way, man. Like, to the naked eye, you might not be able to progress past certain areas, but more often than not, there's more than one way around to get to where you're going, or to get to where you want to go, ensuring that if you poke around enough, you will be rewarded for it. Ultimately, leaving you to take on whatever boss you want and getting whatever main upgrade that you want completely out of order. And the best example of this is early on in the game, you enter a room that is pitch black. You can't see a damn thing. And there's a switch in this room that you otherwise can't see until you purchase a particular item later in the game. But you can, in theory activate the switch right away and move on to a completely new area of the game before you've even picked up an upgrade or fought a fucking single enemy. And speaking of upgrades, the gameplay of this game is deep. Too deep to get into on an episode like this. But no two games will be completely the same. The loadout of my character will more than likely be 100% different from someone else's. The game is designed so well that no matter where you go, you will always find something. Be it an upgrade, a new biome, a, a secret, an NPC, a bit of story, a new quest. The game is designed with purpose. Everything there is there for a reason. It's absolutely astounding the type of agency Team Cherry has created with this game. It's absurdly packed with content. And the bosses, I think there's around probably more than 30 bosses with only about four of them having to actually be mandatory. And honestly, like, these bosses are worth seeking out. Each encounter is wonderful and also fleshes the lore out just like a little bit more with each one. But with that said, Hollow Knight is not an easy game. For everything Hollow Knight takes from those retro games, it takes just as much from Miyazaki games. That's right. We're talking fucking Souls games. <laughs> because honestly, we can't talk about modern gaming without comparing shit to fucking Dark Souls. Uh, upon death, everything you collected will be left in a shadow of your former self back where you died. You can either backtrack to where your shadow is and take back what you had with the added bonus of all the stuff you collected along the way to get there, or decide to move on and venture somewhere else at the detriment of losing all of your progress. Which, 
ingeniously establishes the wonderful gameplay loop Team Cherry so lovingly designed in this game. It's easy to say in a game like Zelda, fuck this shit, this is too hard, I'm gonna just go do something else. But if you end up dying on a particularly difficult boss in Hollow Knight, and you will, because the bosses are ass hard, you kind of have to sit there and gamble with yourself at the benefit of just getting better at the game. It's like, you, you get there, you're like, I came all this way, I may as well just try and beat the boss again. It's so fucking smart. There's so much to talk about when it comes to Hollow Knight. It's beefy as fuck for such a small indie game. And hopefully the sequel, Silk Song, which I'm absolutely hyped for, will deliver on the goodwill of this game. I don't often 100% games, but I 110%ed this game, which actually has a max of 115%, but I am not doing that fucking boss rush because like I looked up a, a video of that shit and I'm like, I do not want any part of that. No, thank you. That looks enragingly difficult. So with all that said, maybe look out for a Hollow Knight episode in the future. And in the meantime, until that comes, fucking play Hollow Knight for yourselves. So what the hell could possibly be my number one game of the year? Hades is the fucking shit. This came out of left field for me because I was like hearing things about it and then like I decided to check the trailer out on the Nintendo eShop and I was like, I don't know, this really doesn't look like anything I'd like. But one night, you know, I was looking through the sales as I typically do because I'm frugal as shit and I saw that the game was on sale like only a month after it came out and I was like, well, if I don't like it, it's only $15 and I've definitely spent $60 on some fucking other turds this year that didn't make this list. So what's it going to hurt? And it blew me away immediately. On the surface, what turned me off the most was like I was just judging it on the trailer alone. I was like, oh, it's just like another spin on the ancient Greek gods mythos that's been beaten to fucking death since the very first uh, God of War game. The art style and some of the enemies in the trailer looked almost like a tier better than a mobile game. But honestly, like it's none of those things. I was a damn fool and you shouldn't be a fucking fool either. First of all, 
Oh man, there's so much in this game. There's so much in this game and I've been talking so fucking long. <laughs> um, I'm just going to touch on the base game. It's a roguelike. So part of the gameplay is that dying is a mechanic of the game. It's very much that. You run through dungeons, get as far as you can while collecting different consumables and power-ups. Some of which you carry with you to level up your character and you know you slowly get more powerful the more times you try to make it to the end of the game and when you do die you lose all your power-ups and buffs but your upgrades stay it is very much that type of game now what sets this apart from other roguelikes is the amount of stuff you can collect on a run the multiple different builds and upgrades you can stack on zagreus on any given run like hollow knight not everyone will go through the game exactly the same as somebody else. Uh, the sheer amount of unlockable content, whether it be quests. Yes, there are quests in this game. Uh, Pre-run equipped buffs, weapons, which can also further be upgraded and can uh, be manipulated to match whatever stats you're specifically looking for. And all of the base gameplay is its just so, it's so fucking deep. But then... There's the characters and the storyline, which are actually tied to how many times you fail to reach the end of the game. Instead of just rehashing the same old Greek myths that we've come to know that I thought this game was going to do, a supergiant has turned these Greek gods and demigods into practical people worth knowing, with ambitions, flaws, and desires with the gods of Olympus almost all just acting like your childish little brother all vying for Zagreus' attention. I love how Hades, the god Hades himself, is just like some paper-pushing bureaucratic asshole who just is trying to get Zagreus to help him run his kingdom. I love how the Olympian gods fight over each other depending on which upgrade you decide to take from the other gods. I love the secrecy of Demeter and how her storyline gets interwoven between Zagreus' family. And then there's the mystery of Chaos and Nyx. There's just all this side stuff. There's so much fucking story. There's so much shit in here. And the thing, the thing I'm really trying to say here is most roguelikes only really reward you with minor upgrades after you die, but Hades... Hades does this, but it also rewards you with a little more story every time you fail to finish the game. Most of the time, I find myself doing more runs just so I could die again and talk to all of these characters. Speaking of which, not only are all the characters ins insanely, and I mean insanely well thought out, but the voice acting in this game is 100 percent phenomenal i don't think i've heard better voice acting in the game ever fight me about it fucking come at me i don't want to hear your shit damn triple h damn his soul i can't imagine how large the script was for this game it had to be like fucking two stories tall i think i've attempted a little over 60 runs and I think I've only probably finished the game like 16 or 17 times. By finished the game, I mean I've only completed like 17 runs or something. 
um, I, I still have I still have open quest lines with around like five or six characters. I'm probably nowhere close to hearing all of the dialogue in the game. Socializing and the story is just it's such a big part of the game and it's done so well. It really took me by surprise. And of course, of course, you don't need to do any of that stuff if you if you don't want to. That's the true beauty. Granted, I mean, you'll miss out on certain items and, and certain buffs and the impact of completing your first run will kind of be a loss to you. But I mean, if you don't care about the story, like that's cool, too. You can literally die, go rebuff your character and start another run like it doesn't really matter too much because, again, like the gameplay here is deep as shit. It's so fucking well thought out. All the weapons are fun to use, even though I'd prefer not to use the bow. Fuck the bow. Battles are quick, snappy, uh, and it feels really satisfying. The end game content is insane because then you unlock a mode where you can set bounties on yourself, which are basically they're like these these 20 different options that make the game harder in specific ways. And then that awards you more loot upon completing a run. And then every once in a while, there's this weird ass character, Chaos, who shows up, whose design is fucking. I mean, the design on some of these characters is fucking amazing. Everybody's hot. Everybody's hot, even Chaos. Chaos, show me that dick. And when Chaos shows up, you can gamble some of your health or sacrifice defense for a quarter of your run in order to get a major stat boost in other areas of your build. And again, on top of that, you're building stats on your fucking weapons. I'm getting so high, I'm ready to go play some more Hades right now. Most of the time, you know, and that, that's the thing. That's the thing. Like most of the time I was like, I'll do a run or two and, and jump out of this and, and be done. And then I'd end the last run. I'd go around and talk to everyone inside the house of Hades and be like, all right, one more run and then i look and it's suddenly 3 a.m in the morning and i'm like all right one more run <laughs> i didn't even talk about the main character zagreus that much he's just cool as fuck he just strolls through the entire game just casual nothing really phases him he acknowledges everyone in the kingdom with like a certain type of respect, even though he hates living down there. And like, and then, yeah, the whole reason for him wanting to leave is fantastic. And then that just feeds into the whole meta thing of why you would keep doing runs in this game after you die. And I'm not going to spoil it, um, but after completing the first run, it's actually really fucking tragic, even though Supergiant isn't really shoving uh, tiresome Greek mythology down our throats. It's still somewhat baked into the characters but once you actually roll credits on the game i mean there's still so much more stuff to do and i'll say like it doesn't even end on a bad note anyway so man and then there's the fucking graphics just there's so fucking much there's so fucking much i'm just done this will also probably be a future episode it's just crazy. I just want to just I just want to go play Hades right now. It's my number one game 
of 2020 for a reason. So that is it. That is my top 10 games of 2020. It's my breakdown of the events this year. If you would like to get a hold of me, you can email me at mainquestpod at gmail.com or send me a DM and give the show a follow on Instagram, which is the main quest. As I stated before in my episode for Tetris, I am taking a little vacation from the show until February because Papa needs it. <laughs> the episode of Resident Evil will be out next month, though. And uh, that's really about it. I don't want to stagnate here for too much. Um, you know, I guess this year it uh, gave me a podcast. That's literally the only good thing to come out of this year, honestly. So there's that. Just like, fuck, man. Sometimes I'm thinking about next year and I'm like, so what now? Like I'm going into 2021 thinking, what now? Not sure if that's a good or bad thing. Maybe if I'm more like, what now? That sounds, <laughs> that sounds more positive. But man, fuck it. Fuck this past year. Fuck this past year. Really, really like, holy shit. Never in my life. Never again with this bullshit. Thank you guys so much for fucking listening. Thank you for making this podcast worth doing. Again, I've said it before and I was like, I'm just doing this for fun. Who gives a fuck if anybody listens? And I'm like, oh shit, people are listening. This is weird. <laughs> um, yeah, it's incredible. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where to go with this. Um, 2021 will be better. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will see you in about a month. Take care of yourselves. <laughs>